Well, this morning, we're looking at how that uh, God is able to work in our hearts and lives and change us and keep us. All of our life, you know, we see the message, the message of Christ given to us. But um, I was looking at Joshua chapter, chapter 3, beginning at verse um, 13. I have the wrong time. I said 9 to 13, but it's actually 13 to um, 13 to 13. No, it can't be that. It's John 3. Anyhow, I'm reading it. <laughs> I got the, I got, never mind. Joshua chapter 3, beginning at verse 9 to verse 13. That's how it goes. Joshua 9 to 13. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Now, we're going to have two basically different sermons this morning, but kind of, and I think of them being connected, or I wouldn't have put them together, is, you know, in Ephesians, it talks about the armor of God. And the armor of God is that, you know, we put on the armor of God, we go forward in our relationship with God, we go forward into battle, okay? That's part of who we are. But we see here in Joshua that there is the challenge for the children of Israel and the challenge for us when we have the armor, uh, that we must see and listen to the word of the Lord that comes to us. So Joshua is telling them that the word of the Lord your God has come, and this is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, Parasites, Girgashites, uh, Amorites, and Jebusites. So these are all kind of like city-states, these, uh, they own different territories in um, what is now would be Israel and the promised land that, they were, that Israel is going to conquer. Now, for years, the uh, archaeologists would say these, these places, these cities, these uh, different um, Amorites, Jebusites, and all of them, they, didn't, they never existed. <laughs> well, not true. They have found the cities, they found many of the cities, and they have found places where these um, um, peoples would have uh, had their altars to their, to, their different, to their many gods. And so whenever we find that Israel is going in to conquer the land, we find that God had told them, well, told Abraham, this is your land, but you, I don't want you to possess it yet because their iniquity is not yet full. Okay. We, that statement is sometimes puzzling in the sense that there's still a chance for their redemption. <laughs> there's still a chance for them to turn their way back, turn their uh, heart back to God or away from all of their idols. But when Joshua comes and arrives at the Jordan River, he is, he is coming there from their 40 years of wandering. Moses has died, and now Joshua is the new leader. And so he's leading these people in the um, Jericho Valley. And the, the Jordan River is kind of a unique thing. Um, whenever it's not flooding, um, the bridge over here in Wimber that goes across the, the what, what creek is that? Is that Paint Creek? <laughs> I don't know. The little creek that once runs through town. If you have a bus, you can put the front wheels on one side of the creek and the back wheels on the other. Well, that's the size of the Jordan River. <laughs> now, and I, whenever I, we were on the bus and the guy stops on this little bridge and he says, well, beneath you is the Jordan River. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This ain't even a creek, you know? 
And, um, but what happens is, as this creek goes through the, into the Sea of Galilee, out of the Sea of Galilee, and flowed down to the Dead Sea, this creek, at flood stage, would, would go out over its banks and just flood the entire valley. And it can be 150, 200 feet across, but it's not 10 feet deep. It's generally just a few feet deep, spread out over a, a large area. So when Joshua brings the children of Israel to this um, place, this water, the, the, the Jordan River, he brings them there and, you know, people are going to get wet. <laughs> or it's maybe too deep in some places for them to get across in the, in, the, in, the, in the river itself. So anyhow, he brings them to this place and he tells them, God wants us to go across. Well, why didn't God wait till the drought, till the dry season? They could have walked across, on, you know, made a little land bridge or stepped down in, got out on the other side of the creek and the whole bunch could have went across. But he didn't. He took them across during flood time. And the flood season was a way for them to know that God was going to give them the land. Just as God parted the Red Sea and they came out of Egypt, God is going to do something for them as they enter into the uh, promised land. And so he says in verse 11, See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was that box, it's gold, and in that box is the Ten Commandments, um, Aaron's rod that budded, and a jar of manna. It's in the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark were these cherubs with their wings together, and underneath that is the mercy seat, where, is God, where God dwelt, as it were, for the children of Israel to see God's presence descend upon the tabernacle, and it's like there is, this is where God sits. Well, Joshua said, we're going to take the ark of the Lord and the priests, and they can't carry the box. They have to put poles through it, and priests would carry it on, the, on their shoulders, and they would walk to the Jordan River to where it was flooding. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel and from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters will flow, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So what's happening here is God tells the priests to take the ark of the covenant and you've got to go into the water. <laughs> when you get into the water, that's when God is going to stop the water and build up a, as it, were, it, is, it is, a wall of water, and no more water is going to pass beyond that until everyone is across on the other side. So we find that this Jordan River at flood stage is uh, it's kind of like an insurmountable place to, uh, to get across. And... Um, one of the things I remember speaking on years ago was that uh, cast your bread upon the water. Well, sometimes what would happen is they would, in this flood season, they would take, this is moving on years, years ahead now, they would take their, their seed and throw it out on the water, and when the water receded, the, plant, the seeds would go into the mud, <laughs> and that's how their crops would be sown. So cast your bread upon the water. 
So prior now, backing up now to the Joshua going into the, leading the people of Israel into the promised land. So the problem we look at in our life, no matter what it is, we can't sit back and look at the problem. Well, the river's flooding. What are we going to do? <laughs> I've got a problem. My health isn't good. My finances aren't good. My relationships aren't good. We're tempted. We're, we have all these things. And what, are we, what is the problem? Well, we're on the verge of a miracle. <laughs> but we have to go forward. We have to step forward. And, and the challenge for us is to go into battle. That we are to go into battle and to wage the war, as it were, by faith. And what it means in this case is the children of Israel had to, and, and one of the uh, scriptures says that the, the people were not allowed to follow close to the ark. They had to be like a half a mile behind it. So everybody could see that whenever the children of Israel got into the water, excuse me, when the priests got into the water carrying the ark, the water stopped. Everybody had to see it. And so when it stopped, the water put up a heap and the water stopped flowing down. Didn't cut it off at the source up at the Sea of Galilee. He didn't cut it off up there. He stopped it right where the priests were standing. So all of the people then could walk across the Jordan River where the water was to get to the other side. And this was the miracle before Jericho. Walking around the walls of Jericho and the walls of Jericho fell down. So whenever we're facing something that is difficult, when we're facing difficulties, we need to recognize we go forward. We never back. Now, with that in mind, we go to Ephesians chapter 10, and uh, we look at the scriptures there. And it says that, um, I, I like verse 10, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The challenge for us is, this is not about me. It's not about you. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. What is the strength of the Lord? The word. The word of God comes to illuminate, gives us understanding. Like, how did the children of Israel know that they were to go, the priests were to go and stand in the river? God told them, the word of the Lord. Well, the word of the Lord comes to us. Be strong, be very courageous. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Uh, what else? The, all the promises that God puts in the Bible, they are there for us to be strong in the Lord. We, we influence our minds and hearts by receiving the word, talking about the word, uh, remembering the word. This morning in Sunday school, um, we had where Paul was arrested in the temple, and we showed on the screen the, the old temple and the Roman garrison uh, that was the fortress and Antonio was right next to the temple and the, the soldiers came running out of the fortress into the temple because their, their towers overlooked the temple courtyard. So we, we looked at that this morning. But whenever we see the armor of God and the children of Israel, whatever, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Strength of God. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So we find that it isn't how much strength we have to move mountains. 
It's how much faith we have to believe in God's word. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, and uh, many of us are familiar with it, and we may wonder a little bit about its meaning, and I know I've spoken on it uh, many times, but we find that as we're on the verge of a miracle, <laughs> the verge of a miracle is that there's something in front, there's something that we are headed towards, there's a mission, a purpose, a goal, something in front of us, and we need to go stand in the river. <laughs> we need to dress ourselves in the armor of God. Knowing what God is saying is nine-tenths of the battle. Be strong. Be at peace. Love. Forgive. Be patient. Be any virtue. Be any praise. Think on these things that are lovely, true, and of good report. These are things that we are, fil these are filters that we're using for going in and going out of our thoughts and minds and our, and our, ver and our vocabulary. So we are to look at the idea that we are on the verge of a miracle. Well, what's the miracle? Well, what's in front of you? What is it that seems uncrossable, unpassable? So we need to go towards it. So we do so in w and with the armor of God. So verse 11 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. It means that we're not just fighting our own mind. <laughs> you know, we're not just warring against or fighting against society or whatever. There's a spiritual battle going on in the heavens. There's a spiritual battle going on in your mind, in your heart. And the spiritual battle, evil, wants to defeat us, to destroy, to get us. The river's impossible. It's flood season. Why don't you just wait for a drought? You go over when, it when there's a drought, okay? So in our lives, well, we can, there's a better time to do this. Well, is there? Or is this the better time? Is this the better way to go? And we challenge ourselves with that, what's in front of us, and so we're believing in the power of the word of God. This be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So, so this passage alerts us to the reality of an enemy who is scheming against us. If we knew as much as the devil knows, he would be terrified. <laughs> because he knows that Je who Jesus is. He knows that God has that Jesus is risen from the dead. He knows that in, in, through Jesus Christ we are more than conquerors and, and that the strength of God and the power of God is at our, in our lips and our mouth and in our, our vocabulary and, and our thoughts. It's all right there. And so we have to take on the word of God and take on the armor of God. So this armor of God, we, we are to put it on, but um, we'll read verse 10. I said that already. Uh, verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God. That's what I meant. So as we begin the battle, it's verse 10, be strong in the Lord. Then we have verse 13, put on the full armor of God. Now, whenever we are looking at this, we are to put it on. It doesn't say we're to take it off. 
This is a this is a continual ongoing process that we are putting on the armor of God. And and Paul, he's very familiar with the the armor. He's he's been chained to a Roman soldier, <laughs> you know, for a, a while. And so he's very familiar with the the Roman soldier's garb. And so he likens that to a spiritual a spiritual application that we are to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, none of us are beyond being tempted. None of us are beyond having problems and difficulties. And we find that when the day of evil comes is when we are tempted to doubt God's faithfulness, tempted to doubt God's involvement in our life, tempted to believe that somehow the scriptures aren't what they say they are. That's the, that's the day of evil for us. It's a temptation to become discouraged, defeated. So you may be able to stand your ground. Now, stand your ground means that you have a firm foundation, that you, you know, you're going to take on the, the battle. You're going to uh, take on this army. Um, so we find that the onslaught of these thoughts. Now, remember, it's not a physical army. It's a spiritual one. And what does it attack? It attacks, our, it attacks us, can't attack us physically, mentally, spiritually, but it's mostly to destroy our spirit. So the, this passage affirms that God has not left us on our own. We're not in this by ourselves. We put on the armor of God. We're being strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Paul uses, as we said, this analogy of the Roman soldier. So the pieces of the armament are a belt, a breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet, and sword. <coughs> so the armor of God includes mostly defensive pieces. We are defended against the onslaught of the, the enemy. But we have one offensive weapon, which is a sword, which is the word of God. So we prepare ourselves, just as Joshua was preparing the <coughs> children of Israel uh, to, to enter the promised land, they had to go across the Jordan. So, verse uh, 13, put on, <laughs> put on the full armor of God. It's a lifelong attire. <laughs> if I showed up every day in the same shirt, pants, same way every day, never got my hair cut, <laughs> you know, you'd be able to tell, hey, when are you going to change your clothes, pastor? Well, the armor of God is not something we take off, and it's, not, it's, it's renewable but not exchangeable because there's nothing better than that, okay? So we never take it off. People... Um, are able to, we're able to appreciate what the defensive weapons that we, we, we possess, what they are. And so they are there for us so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand, stand. So there's this understa understanding that Stand, stand, stand. We don't lay down, we don't back up, we don't retreat, we go forward. Um, so the belt of truth, verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, 
Now, there's a couple of analogies here. One is that in Israel, they wore kind of robes and things. Uh, that was just their attire. And so if they were going to work or run, they would pull up their robe and they would tie it around their waist so it wouldn't get in the way if they were running or working. Or if they were in battle, they would tie that up or have a belt that they would wear to cinch it up and that it would be this... Um, it, it became the everything attached to it. <laughs> you know, the, the, the girdle, the, the breastplate, and all that kind of attached, held everything in place was this battle of truth. And so this belt of truth. So we find that we are to allow the truth of God's word to kind of firmly hold things secure. But also truth is our word of truth, that we speak the truth, that we believe the truth, that it is part of, uh, of who we are and what we do. So um, he goes on to say that we are to stand firm. So this is the third time Paul calls for this. And we are to take a firm stand, a firm position for a spiritual battle. So what is the firm position of a spiritual battle? That anything that would be destructive, to our soul, heart, life, we are to recognize not only that it can be a physical thing, but it can be a spiritual thing. You know, it's like the <laughs> little, little kid in, in church, you know, sit down. No, I won't, won't sit down. Sit down. No, I won't. So the parent just grabbed the child and set it down. Child says, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. <laughs> so that's the way it is with our spiritual life. We're standing on the inside. No matter what happens to us, we're standing firm in the word of God. And we, we see that this truth is there is the, the uh, stand firm in the, in the truth of the word. Truth of God's word, we secure it. We secure the truth of God's word to ourselves. Then 14b. We had the belt, now we have the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate of righteousness was generally a thick leather covering over the torso, your stomach, your heart, your chest, your lungs. It was this thick leather torso, and, and uh, in reading this, I I'd never heard it before, but people would also put cow horns and, uh, and hoof, the, the hoof of animals. Why? Because they were harder to cut through. So it would be almost like another layer of protection for the, uh, for the leather itself uh, to stop the blows of uh, arrows or of, of a sword. So it was there to protect the vital organs. And we find that, um, we find that the breastplate of righteousness is, to, is protecting the godly character. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That we have this protection for our spiritual being that our heart would be guarded by the truth of God's love. You see, I think of it in the context that our hearts are generally, you know, we, when we talk about our, our hearts being sensitive, people having a broken heart, that whenever we cover our heart with love, 
Love has a way of absorbing the, the, the um, bad remarks, the difficult remarks, the not flattering remarks, that rather than being exposed to every slight of people's thoughts and opinions and degrading and whatever they do, rather than being jabbed in the heart with those comments, we cover our heart with God's love, and God's love absorbs those, those, those uh, hurts. Just like Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He loved us so much that he went to the cross for us. So um, the heart is necessary to be protected. We find in verse um, 15, and have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Um, I can't think of this verse without thinking of Alice Rebko. <laughs> she told the story of how that when she was a young girl, she worked at the Eureka store. And um, the guy came in, and, you know, he's relatively, it was small, no, he wasn't small, but he was, say, just the average age. And he wore perhaps a size 9 shoe. And so he came in, and he said to her, he wanted the largest shoe on the, on the shelf. Say it's a 12 or 13 or whatever. He said, I want the large shoe. And she says, no, it doesn't fit. No, no. He said, same price small, same price big. He wanted the big one. You know? <laughs> so whenever we are fitted, fitted. If you get a pair of shoes that are fitted, they fit and conform to your feet. Did you know that the gospel of peace that God has for you is fitted for your life? It's a complete fit. Let the peace of God that passes all understanding, that in our understanding of difficulties, we should be upset, but in the peace of God that passes is greater than our understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. So we are the perfect peace of God is the peace that is fitted to your life. It's a perfect fit. Verse 16. In addition to all this, take the shield of faith. <laughs> shield of faith. Now, often we think of this as that shield that the Roman soldiers would be able to hide behind, and that was part of their defensive wall that they would put their shields in behind and lock them together, and the guys behind would put it on top. And so they were just like a, a, a tank walking forward into, into battle. And then they had these short swords, and they were just constantly you know, jabbing through the edges of their, with their shields to kill the enemy. And so, but the shield of faith is something that is... Um, something that is in front of us that protects our heart. It protects our, our life. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So our faith must absorb all the fiery darts. Fiery darts are trials, tribulations, difficulties that people are always shooting at us. You know, in those battles, the, the, the archers would be way behind the lines and just launching arrows up into the other people. And, they, and the Romans, they were the best at it. They would put their shields in front, people behind put their shields on top, lock them all together, and virtually none of the arrows made it into the, into the soldiers. Well, our shield of faith protects us from any obstacles that would be thrown at us 
that would injure our spirit, our heart, our life with God. It absorbs all of those things and it quenches them. And the fiery darts are the, the ones that are, the arrows that are, um, on, uh, that are lit. <laughs> and in the Romans, they had a leather covering on their shields and they would soak that leather covering in water. And the fiery darts would hit the leather covering soaked in water and it would quench the fiery darts. So in our life, it is the love of God who is holding our hearts and gives us faith, the shield of faith. And then, <laughs> helmet of salvation. Well, the helmet of salvation protects your head. <laughs> That's the most vulnerable target in a battle. You know, they always had their swords, but there was a lot of them. They had these hammers, you know, basically hammers and hatchets. And they were always hacking at somebody's head. Even with a helmet, those helmets that they wore, they were susceptible to being cracked and broken. So always uh, a major target in battle. The devil, his major target is to stop the way we think, to alter how we think. Now, it's, I think it's interesting as we've been, I've been watching these archaeological things and how that they continue to just uncover and bring up all of these records and things that prove the Bible. The one, uh, the, the one man was talking about the archaeological evidence to prove the resurrection. <laughs> and, uh, and he was going, and they were using it, and he, he used the idea that people who were non-believers didn't, you know, they, were, they, didn't believe in the re- they didn't believe in Jesus Christ, but they believed in the resurrection because when Jesus died and he rose from the dead, there was an immediate impact on his followers and society and the world around him. It, the impact was immediate. Something had to have happened. Did you know Buddha, the earliest writings after him was 600 years? In Christianity, it is an immediate reaction. It is an immediate response to, to the message of Christ. And then you have Paul and his encounter on, on the road to Damascus. The, um, the atheists and agnostics will use that as evidence of the resurrection of Jesus because Paul was a historical, he was a rabbi, a historian of Israel, and his life was changed by an encounter on the road to Damascus. So that is evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we go on and on. There are all these things that, uh, that are proving to us our faith and outline for us. And so in our thoughts, <laughs> the devil can try and get us to say, ah, you know, that's, don't believe that. That's hogwash. That never happened. Well, it's all starting to, in archaeology and all those things, are starting to prove the, what we've believed in. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. <laughs> Verse 17b, which is, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The word of God is our greatest offense because it can strike down the enemy. Remember what Jesus, whenever he was tempted, what did he say? It is written. He just, he diced up the devil. (laughs) 
you know, the devil comes in his tempters, Jesus in his, as it were, in his weakest, one of his weakest moments as a human. The only other weak moment like that would have been in the garden. And what does he do? Father, not my will but thine be done. <laughs> he just slices the devil up. And in our life, when doubts come, no, God is my, my fortress. God is my peace. God is my salvation. You know, we're just slicing, we're just slashing the devil to pieces and protecting our minds and hearts. So we have the helmet that keeps our head, our thoughts in place. But you know what? It also, our ears, what do we listen to? What are we seeing? What are we watching? Go and do those things that are keeping our helmet, our, the word of God, alive. You know, I think of uh, the word of God is quick and powerful. The word of God is alive and active. It is a living organism. It is a living person. The word, Jesus Christ, is alive within our hearts. So you see, we have all of this armament, and what do we do with it? We march and we walk into the river <laughs> and watch God perform the miracle. The waters stop. Whoa. Then the next battle, we're going to Jericho. What are we going to do? We're going to walk around Jericho once a day for seven days, and on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times. What about me in fighting? Just walk by faith. Sword, put it in the sheath. Do what God commands, the walls come down. That, too, is proven archaeologically. That, too, is proven that the walls of Jericho fell outward, which provided a ramp for the children of Israel to enter the camp, enter the town. So all of these things coming together to prove to us God is faithful. I have faith. I have God's thoughts. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. My thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord. As heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than yours. Allow God's word to work and penetrate our mind. God, protect our hearts from the hurts of man. Gird ourselves up with truth. Secure ourselves. No loose ends here. We're going forward into battle. God will protect us. He will guide us. Sometimes we fight with the sword, and sometimes we just walk in obedience and watch God do the miracle. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for how you bring about your word, that it comes alive in our hearts, comes alive in what we see and do, just as it was for the children of Israel to see the water stop, and they walked over on the dry ground. Lord, as it was for the walking around Jericho and the, the walls fall down, God, we see what you have done for others in the past. These are not just fairy tales. These are the stories of your victory, of your people obeying your word, finding their place in your kingdom. Give us, help us as we put on the word of God and put on this helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and our feet are shod with peace, that we are in peace as we stand with you. We thank you for this. Let the peace of God guard your hearts and minds. Thank you, God, for the strength we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.